episode 23 of Edward Reeves Buddhist Books Podcast. If this is your first time seeing me, click here instead. That'll take you to the uh, main playlist. Start with episode one of the Dhammapada, and then you can start rolling from there. Um, if you're definitely here for the Jainism, but you're a little confused because it says Buddhist Books Podcast, click here. That'll take you to the Jainist Sutras, the Jain Sutras playlist on Edward Reeb's Buddhist Books Podcast. You might notice two things are different from the previous episode. One, not as much noise pollution. And two, I'm kind of speaking quietly. Both of those reasons are because it's relatively early for us. Um, Priyala's still asleep in the next room, so I'm going to do my best not to wake her up. Let's jump right in, shall we? Just to be different. We're getting toward the end of this, see? So, pretty soon, we're going to be moving on to that tipitaka. Very exciting. Okay, so first, let us hear someone who... Uh, can pronounce these words very nicely, um, recite the Pranipata Sutra uh, with the English words translated up above. Namotunam Arihantanam Bhagavantanam Aigaranam Tithayaranam Sayansambuddhanam Purisuttamanam Purisasihanam Purisavara Pondariyanam Purisavara Gandhahathinam Loguttamanam Loganahanam Logahiyanam Logapaivanam Logapajoyagaranam Abhayadayanam Chakhudayanam Magadayanam Saranadayanam Jeevadayanam Bohidayanam Dhammadayanam Dhammadesayanam Dhammanayaganam Dhammasarahinam Dhammavarachaurant Chakavatinam Devotanam Saranagai Paitanam Apatihayavaranam Dansanadharanam Vyatachaumanam Jinanam Javayanam Tinanam Tarayanam Buddhanam Bohayanam Muktanam Moganam Savvanunam Savadarisinam Siva Mayalamaru Manantamakai Mauvabaha Mapunaravitim Siddhigai Namadheyam Tanam Sampatanam Namojinanam Jeebhayanam Wasn't that nice? Our usual guy is fine. Um, I don't know any of these people, of course. I'm finding these videos on YouTube. Um, that one you just heard came from here. Um, I mentioned to Priyal that the Anum, he, he was pronouncing it Anum, where the, the guy that we usually have on usually says, Anum, Anum, and she was like, what? You know, like, is he Indian? And I was like, yeah, I think so. But he might not speak Hindi um, as a first language. So Anum is the correct way to pronounce those words that end with A-N-U-N. A-N-U-M. It's sort of uh, similar to verbs that end in I-N-G. So it's, um, yeah, that's why it repeats over and over. But Anum, it's just, uh, and with the singing, it was very beautiful, that one. By the way, when you saw Devo pop up with a bunch of question marks, um, that was a case, I think, of different branches of Jainism. Um, the, in those, those words are here in this book, but in parentheses. And he didn't translate them. So maybe he'll explain 
but yeah, those, that that must be something that was added by one branch of Jainism and isn't included in other branches of Jainism. Something similar to that. So, uh, all right. So the the English translation in a more you know flowy way, rather than translating each word individually, is something a whole lot like, according to this author. <clears throat> obeisance, remember that's bowing to, obeisance to the Arihantas. Now remember of the five, the five levels uh, from Sadhu, which is where you renounce all worldly things and you just focus on uh, meditating and being on the path. So that's like the neophyte of Jainism. I mean, it's a hardcore neophyte, but you know, a monastic sort of ascetic path neophyte. Um, and then if, if given, if, if, uh, if being a, a sadhi, a siddhi, a siddha, that's what it is. It, so you start as a sadhu and you end as a siddha. These are siddhas who became tirtankaras, which is like super siddha. Um, so siddha is like philosophers. In other words, it's the fifth grade. So arhanta is the is the fourth grade. That's where you have overcome all sins. And I think according to, you know, doctrine, uh, you can't slide back once you're there. Uh, my personal thoughts are, I, th I think you can always slide back. I think that's one of the things that um, in Buddhism, they acknowledge that uh, you can get all the way up to the level of, you know, a god and still it reincarnate in the Avicii hells. Um, I don't know if that necessarily contradicts well. The God part certainly does, but um, I think there's more of an understanding that, uh, well, it depends. I mean, what we were reading in uh, in the Lotus Sutra talked about bodhisattvas who can't slide back. So maybe like the idea of the bodhisattva, at least in Mahayana, is similar to the idea of the Arhanta. Um, Except the Arhanta has conquered all the sins, but hasn't like attained ultimate freedom. But from our perspective, you remember we were talking about this from our from you know the ideas that they're worshipped as gods alongside the Siddhas because it's basically the same from the perspective of someone who's not even a sadhu, who hasn't even begun upon the path, like the, the, the practicus on the philosophers are equally worthy of worship. For those of you, hi Robbie, for those of you uh, familiar with those terms. I'll keep going. Okay, obeisance to the Arhantas, who destroy the inner enemies. Obeisance to the venerable ones, who are the founders of religion, who have established the fourfold order who have attained the right knowledge on their own. Obeisance to them who are supreme amongst men, the lions amongst men. I mean, it was pretty clear in the recital, but it went pretty quickly. And for those of you on the podcast, you didn't see it. Uh, the lotuses amongst men and the elephants of the Gandana species amongst men. Obeisance to them who are supreme in the universe, masters of the universe. By the way, Priyal just finished a uh, drawing of an elephant. I will check with her and see if she doesn't mind me showing it to you right now. 
So if you're on YouTube and you didn't just see an elephant, it's because she preferred that I not put it on here, but I, I don't think she'll mind. But isn't that nice? Uh, she's been doing sort of a, a traditional style, uh, traditional Bihari style. But anyway, um, every Sunday she's done three birds, well, a peacock and two other, like a small bird and a big bird and uh, a bunch of other things. Okay. Obeisance to them who are supreme in the universe, masters of the universe, benefactors of the universe, beacons of the universe, and who illuminate the universe. Obeisance to them who are bestowers of fearlessness, bestowers of vision, givers of the right path, givers of refuge, givers of life, and givers of right vision. Obeisance to them who are benefactors of religion, preceptors of religion, leaders of religion, charioteers of religion, superior in religion, and who help to conquer the journey of the fourfold existence. Obeisance to them who uproot wrong knowledge, who are givers of knowledge, and who are devoid of deceit. Obeisance to those who are conquerors of attachment and aversion who make others win over, who have crossed the ocean of life and help others to go across, who are self-enlightened and bring enlightenment to others, who attained liberation and help others attain that liberation. Obeisance to those who are all-knowing and all-seeing, who are without disturbance, who are stable, free of disease, without end, without decay, without obstacle, free from transmigration, and who have attained the Sita state. Salutations to those who have conquered fear and who are venerable, omniscient beings. Okay, analysis. Well, the analysis is very short on this one. I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, but anyway. Therefore, by following Jayana dictums, you will find that behind every action, our thoughts should echo the purity of life, its greatness and its vastness, which will lead to the redemption of the world. The harmony of devotion, knowledge, and action. Indian philosophy speaks of the three paths of devotion, Bhakti yoga, knowledge, jnana yoga, and action, karma yoga, that make our spiritual disciplines steadfast and strong. In the Vedic tradition, there are some contradictory opinions regarding these three paths. One faction of Vedic thinkers considers devotion to be the supreme path. They believe that the human being is so small and weak that he has no recourse to knowledge and action. Well, this seems like uh, the author of this book doesn't approve of the path of devotion. That's basically like the, the kirtan, the responsorial, Hare Krishna, like getting there with love, like the, the Sufi path, if you will, I think overlaps with this, the uh, certain, you know, uh, uh, the Christian path, uh, certain types of Buddhism, for sure, where you you know, are constantly praying to the Buddha. They seem to be emphasizing obeisance to the Guru. Yeah, devotion path. 
It's odd that he's, uh, well, anyway. Yeah, so he, he doesn't like the devotion path, apparently. I, I just had to stop and say something, because it's, I don't want your, your only understanding of bhakti yoga to be someone saying, yeah, they think that humans are so small and helpless that they need to blah, blah, blah. No, it's a path of getting out through love, through ah, adoration of whatever it is, the doorknob, Mickey Mouse, uh, God, um, the guru, you know, just through pure devotion and love and expression of that love, just to be uplifted all the way up. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember who it was. There was a, well, anyway, I'll, I'll talk to Priyal about it and, and find out and get back to you. But there was one of the, one of the many enlightened people in the history of India who, who followed that path. And he was devoted to Kali. And at a certain point, um, he realized it, that it wasn't Kali, that it was the formless God beyond Kali. And it was taking the form of Kali that whole time. But it was his devotion to Kali that led him to that understanding. Anyway, um, yeah, there's things. What do I know? They believe that the human being is so small and weak that he has no recourse to knowledge and action. Therefore, he has no choice but to devote himself at the feet of God and beg for redemption. That is not the bhakti path. I am sorry. Upadhyaya Amar Muni. I, uh... I disagree with your assessment of the of bhakti yoga, and I think that a lot of what you described about devotion to the guru is bhakti yoga. Anyway, um, don't mean to disagree with a saint, but well, unless it's Saint Paul, obviously. Another faction revered the path of knowledge. Well, I think since they're Vedic, they're not Jainist, and so they're already, you know, down the nose, looking down the nose at, even though they're the same. Another faction revered the path of knowledge. For instance, the Vedantins believed that this believe that this world and its sorrows are nothing but an illusion. They believe that it is not austerities, but the path of knowledge that can redeem us of pain and suffering. Niha jnana sadursam pavitramiha vidyate from Gita 4 slash 38. All we have to do is believe that we are pure Atman. As soon as this truth is realized, the soul will obtain liberation. Bit of an oversimplification, I think. Again, I think he's, he's coming from the perspective of, yeah, the Vedas are wrong. Uh, Jaina is the way. It's like a Christian talking about Judaism or Buddhism or Islam or something or atheism, or agnosticism, or Gnosticism, or paganism, or anything but Christianity. Usually anything except for their particular denomination of Christianity. I think uh, there's a, in Jainism there seems to be a little bit more of all the different factions of Jainism agree on these points, but I don't know, maybe not. If you, might, if you went to a, an orientation for a Christian church, they might do a whole lot of like, oh yeah, it doesn't matter which denomination you are at the orientation, but then once you're on the inside, it's like, the reason why we're Northern Baptist, uh, you know, Second Council, Council of 1913, and not Southern Baptist Council of 1892. Anyway. <clears throat> then there is a third faction, F 
action, that believes only in action. These thinkers attach no value for knowledge and devotion. I'm sorry, I oversimplified. I, 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 like, I like this author, but it, when he's talking about the Vedas and talking about these karmas, he's cartooning it a lot. And um, I don't know. I've been through several yoga trainings, three and a half at this point, and they go into all these a lot. We talk about them for days, for like the entire month. And uh, yeah, participating in devotional practices and, and uh, Hare Krishna type practices and this kind of thing. It's oversimplified. Anyway, uh, there's a third faction that they, they attach no value to knowledge and devotion. They propose sacrificial pyres or yangyas, practicing of immense spiritual austerities and undergoing rigorous uh, physical regimen. Here there is no respect for the heart or mind. The early Mimamasakas and many sadhus who practice hatha yoga nowadays belong to this faith. They believe in action and nothing else. I don't think there's anybody that matches the descriptions. Anyway, not, not, not real people. The problem is that each of these three factions has no room for the other two. False. Sorry. <laughs> I disagree with this part. Uh, the believers of devotion do not lay emphasis on conduct. The ones who believe in knowledge do not pay attention to action. The ones who propound action forget that without the flow of devotion or the light of knowledge, there can be no benefit. Oh, now he's talking nicely about devotion. Yeah, you know, you don't find, like, purists. I mean, there's, there's some who, like, lean heavily one way or another. Like, for example, my dad was more of the jnana yogi. Um, and come to think of it, he, well, he, he was devoted in his way. But, yeah, he didn't pay much credence to belief and devotion, that expression of love. So I guess there is some truth there. And come to think of it, he didn't, uh, well, action maybe a little bit. But yeah, okay, okay. And the thing, when I think of my dad, he, he was one who fell into jnana yoga at the exclusion of the other two. So I did learn early on um, that that's not a good way. Because, you know, he died young um, because of being physically unhealthy. Anyway. Jainism does not tread any of these paths in isolation. Okay. Sorry, I don't mean to be disagreeing with, with the words. It adopts the method of harmony. It illuminates every area of life with anekantavada, non-absolutism. It states that the path of spiritual practices cannot rest solely on knowledge, action, or devotion. The vehicle of sadhana needs to be the harmonious coexistence of all three in order to run smoothly. Yeah, okay, that was my only point. It's just that everybody says that, so nobody, I've never met anyone that says, we're from the jnana yoga school, we don't believe in action or devotion. Like, but there are some people who say, I'm a bhakti yoga, I'm a bhakti yogi, and... Uh, and so I, I specialize in playing this instrument and conducting kirtans for $25 a session. And, you know, but those are the only types that, uh, that I've encountered that claim to be bhakti yogi only. Um, anyway, 
Thus, with devotion, we must become strong in our resolves. With knowledge, we must learn to discriminate between truth and untruth. And with action, adopt the conduct of nonviolence and truth. There was one guy who was an Indian man from, who was living in Dubai, and he had a yoga center there. And he came to my class. I was teaching in Kathmandu. And he really liked it. I was, and he kept it to himself. He didn't. He just came in and said, "Okay, what do I do?" And he was the only student that day, so it was a one-on-one -on -one class where I went through basically a California vinyasa, which is what what I call like it's not Ashtanga vinyasa, it's California vinyasa. It's it's vinyasa is what they call it to avoid copyright infringement or confusion because Ashtanga vinyasa it has to be exactly this way and exactly this manner, you know, but. It borrows elements, namely what they call the vinyasa, which literally means to place in a particular way. But uh, it's come to mean, you know, arms up, arms down, jump back, uh, you know, half plank, full cobra, or, uh, you know, uh, is that what it's called? Cobra, upward dog, and then uh, downward dog, and then you know, after whatever, then you jump to the top of the mat or walk if, you know, your knees have issues or whatever. I mean, I'm frowning because uh, I used to teach that way, but uh, now I'm less inclined to tell people to jump around because they'll they'll push themselves and they'll, they'll mess up their knees, you know? Like, why risk it? Especially if you're teaching a large group of people. You, you know, there was a, a, a hot yoga class. This is a little off topic, I'm sorry. But, yeah, there was this hot yoga class I used to teach. And the thing was, like, every so often, too often, you'd have to call an ambulance. Like, how often is too often to call an ambulance? At all. If you're teaching yoga and you have to call an ambulance every once in a while, that's too often, you know? Uh, so, why? Why turn the heat up just because Bikram liked it, you know? Um... Yeah, I'm not into it. Not into hot yoga. Not into jumping around as much. The the whole uh, basically, my understanding is Patabi Joyce's teacher. I wish I remembered his name because then I could sound very knowledgeable. But uh, his teacher used to do custom, like for you, you know, for your body and your practice. He would he would give a certain prescription. And for Patabi Joyce, Patabi Joyce was like, I did it. I did it, Master. I I did what you said. What do I do next? And so he just kept adding more and more and more and saying, okay, well, now that you can do it this way, try it that way. Well, now that you can do this, then, you know, try jumping. Well, now that you can do that, try this. And so eventually, Patavi Joyce got to this, like, you know, very high-level uh, physical practice. And then he started teaching others to do that high-level physical practice. And it became very popular because it was very challenging. And uh, people like a challenge, and they like to feel like, you know, totally exhausted and sweaty and then once they get into it then they're they're chiseled you know they're like it's like a it's like a marine like a you know a boot a boot camp type thing um so it became very popular in the 20th century and still is in places like russia and less popular in u.s and um but you know there are ashtanga vinyasa uh, classes there and it's he patavi joyce was based in mysore Mysore, which is down south basically um so people go there for their Ashtanga yoga training, usually. And uh, there's like one place that's like the, has the lineage back to Patavi Joyce. And he was 
he was being weird uh, in you know the violent way and the sex way inappropriate and so yeah he got cancelled but it's still popular sort of like like Louis C.K. or something you know sort of half cancelled um, and so anyway but that but still very popular in Russia popular enough that they they aren't hurting for uh, you know new new trainees and, and, and teacher trainers um, teacher trainees and stuff like that they there's a, a flow a constant flow of new people wanting to learn how to teach Ashtanga Vinyasa so I don't know. With some things, it, it doesn't seem to impact as much when they find out that the fountain was a total creep. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, Bikram seems to have gone the way of the dodo. Although, I mean, I guess he still has a lot of studios, but a lot of them have shut down or had to change their name or changed ownership or stuff like that. But anyway, that's neither here nor there, and it's far from this subject. Um, but how did I end up on that subject? Well... I, I think I probably was going somewhere with all that, that I didn't arrive. Um, but yeah, so elements of Ashtanga were, were in my practice. Yes, 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 yes. So this guy came to my class in Kathmandu, and he really liked it. Because I would combine elements of, like, I, in my former life, I mentioned a few, you know, episodes ago. I, I was in a, uh, uh, a group for about 20 years, and I was a teacher for most of those years. In, the, in that context, and so I would often lead, you know, guided meditations and sort of hypnotic, relaxing, you know, kind of things where people would kind of go out into the astral and, you know, do different things and work work out their, their mental, physical, emotional, spiritual issues to whatever degree, you know. And I, I've mentioned, if you've watched this whole series, you've seen me ramble about it before, that uh, back then I was considered in our hanta. I was considered a guru, basically. And, um, and so now I, uh, you know, emphasize that I'm a, a fellow student, I'm a fellow human being, please don't think of me that way. Um, you know, I'm an ignoramus, you know, I do, do my best to knock myself off the pedestal before people have a chance to put me up on one. Um, I just feel comfortable wearing a robe, partly because I was walking around wearing a robe, walking, you know, instead of like this, I was like this. Ave Frater, welcome. How are you? How have you been? Okay, well, come on in. We'll begin soon, you know, like that kind of thing. For years, that was like my comfort zone. That was my life. So, um, yeah, after I left that, I got into yoga. Um, that was Western-based, so I kind of like went to something similar, but far enough away that it didn't, wasn't like re-stimulating the traumas, but close enough that it was still what I was used to. Uh, plus, I kind of always had that plan of, like, I'm going to specialize in Western, then specialize in Eastern, even though I don't like those terms at this point. Um, basically, you know, Hebrew-based and then Sanskrit-based is probably a better way to say it, rather than getting into geography based on, like, west of what, east of what, come on. You know, like, which century is this? Where you... Anyway, Okay, so yeah, so that guy from Dubai, or the Indian guy who had the yoga center in Dubai, he had one in Paris too, and he had one in somewhere in India. And uh, yeah, so he was a bhakti yogi. He, he said that they, they did mostly chanting and meditation in his yoga centers. And he came to my class and he was like, I really, I really appreciate this. You know, I, I, I can understand how physical yoga is. A, a missing element. He was like, and I, I like how, you know, I, I wasn't quite doing bhakti at all, but it was 
sort of imp implied bhakti by by the way that the guided meditation was guided, uh, and, you know, in the, in the sh shavasana, the part where you lay down at the end, a lot of like letting go of everything, letting go of attachment, letting go of attachment and aversion type thing, but not in those words, not in like a strict, you'd better let go of attachment and aversion, much more of a, now, you know, feel, release it into the ground, all of those things that are taking up your energy, you know, because um, when you meditate, you find that your, a lot of your energy is going to places, especially these days, it's going into the phone, you know, um, or it's going toward, you know, what does so-and-so think? And, oh, I've got to do this. And, oh, did I take care of that? And all of these, like, really local phenomena, like local in time, local in space, local in, in mortality, you know, like temporal things. And, uh, of course, it's important to, like, take care of business, but it's not important what so-and-so thinks on the comment thread of, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so by meditating, a lot of that energy gets reclaimed and we find that we're we're a bigger being than we thought we were. That we, we the soul has a x amount of energy, you know, if you will, and uh, and and it comes back when you stop wasting it. And so it's it's more like a, you know it's in your interest to do this, not like you must detach from the things of the world and stop feeling lust and then uh, and then you can be free from the detachment and then worshipped, you know, by Janus or something like it. It's just a little bit of a different approach. But anyway, so this guy, this Bhakti Yoga Center guy, really liked it. Well, he said he did it. He gave his card. So, so yeah. So I guess there are some who you know, our physical yoga only, sure. There's a lot of people that treat it as, you know, oh, my, my butt needs some work, you know, I, I, I need to, to tone up, so I'll do yoga. And that, that, you know, that's what a lot of people think yoga is, it's just a kind of workout. It's like a workout, but Indian, and people talk in Sanskrit for some reason. And then you go home, you know, and namaste, and then that's as far as it goes with anything other than stretching and, and cardio, you know. Um, so yeah, it's there's truth to what he's saying about people who who only do one and none of the others. I guess you could say I'm doing jnana yoga by uh, by just reading and philosophizing about things. Let me finish this section and then we'll close. Jainism does not tread any of these paths in isolation. It adopts the method of harmony. It illuminates every area of life with anekantavada, non-absolutism. It states that the path of spiritual practices cannot rest solely on knowledge, action, or devotion. The vehicle of sadhana needs to be the harmonious coexistence of all three in order to run smoothly. Thus, with devotion, we must become strong in our resolves. With knowledge, we must learn to discriminate between truth and untruth, and with action, adopt the conduct of non-violence and truth. Devotion is associated with the heart, since it is connected with faith, belief, and feeling. As the devotee concentrates on the Lord and worships him, his devotional strength increases and enthusiasm permeates his conduct. So also knowledge is a light that brings about discrimination. It makes one aware of one's duties, 
allows one to know the actual form of the Lord and the manner in which one must pray. Action is related to conduct. Without right conduct, a person is like a lowly animal that is caught in its bodily needs and desires. He can neither redeem himself nor another. The mantra of spiritual life lies in giving up the negative and adopting the positive. All right. So thus begins the the Pranipata Sutra reading. And we will continue, pick up where we left off tomorrow, and we're getting darn close to the end of these Jaya Sutras. So that's exciting. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for going on this ride with me. To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Until next time.